Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Slice of the Reef, our new podcast that demystifies the art of saltwater fish keeping. My name is Billy. And I'm Giancarlo, aka Banana or Fishy Fish. We're going to be your guides today into the amazing world beneath the waves, but also in the box in your living room. Crazy, huh? Enjoy and easy reefing. And that'll be really it. We'll do a topic list, a myth, and at the end, we'll try to do a Q&A. If we can get a guest on here or someone else to talk with us, that'd be amazing. Um, because I know there's so many different opinions or so many different perspectives and aspects of actually approaching a topic that not necessarily limiting this to two people will be the best. Yeah. And I think because we're in a general, like, Hank agnostic server, we'll probably have some freshwater episodes too, or we'll do like a hybrid. Um, all depends on what the server wants and who wants to talk. Yeah. Yeah, freshwater things are gorgeous. Um, as easy and basic as they are, they are very, very, they're very, very, um, they're pretty. I mean, I love seeing the the plant by the tanks. I love and mo- the and there's like certain biotypes that are not easy to maintain. Like you, you mentioned shrimp being harder than any saltwater tank kept, especially the expensive ones. Like there's so much pressure on you to, to keep the hardness right, to keep the alkalinity high or fresh or low or whatever. I haven't kept shrimp. Um, discus have like a very specific set of needs. Even uh, rams like the Epistogram uh, or Emerezi have a bunch of specific needs. There's there's a spectrum of difficulty across both of our hobbies. And I think there's a false sense of superiority in the saltwater hobby in particular because they think all of freshwater is so much easier than salt, but it's really not. It, we're all keeping ecosystems that evolved from the same primordial goop. We're all handling similar chemicals and similar nutrients. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll try to give equal coverage or at least pull some more people in who are more experts with fresh water mm-hmm. uh, to talk about. So we're not uh, mm-hmm. just like guessing like like I just did about how to keep shrimp. <laughs> oh my God. Shrimp are hard, man. Shrimp are hard all around. Um, but yeah, like what a lot of people don't realize is how difficult it is to actually keep fish. Um, because you have dogs, you have cats, you have guinea pigs, and those animals have been domesticated for the last several thousand years, right? So they've adapted and biologically they've grown to become codependent on humans. And not just that, but also be better suited to be kept with humans. Um, easier. You know, like easier to keep with humans. It, with a fish, it's not a matter of domesticating them. It's not a matter of like taking advantage of their evolutions. Um, what we're literally trying to do is create a glass box that best simulates their environment and in the real world. Um, you're trying to glass, you know, simulate a reef. You're trying to simulate a um, a plant, like a stream or a pond, or I mean, it's freshwater. So as far as you know, it could be a puddle. And even worse, you're replicating it in like one millionth of the water volume of a river or even a stream or like the t- even a tiny little pond is probably like 1800 gallons minimum and you're you're re- trying to replicate that in a 20 gallon <laughs> barely like the largest amounts of water that we have as hobbyists is like the smallest thing Microsoft. when you when you're looking at the wild yeah it's like very 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 small and we know so little about it okay so i will start and i started in 2017 with a 10 gallon aquarium with neon blue gravel a SpongeBob house, as is decreed for everyone to start with, had like two mollies, which very quickly became 18 mollies. So I had to upgrade. I got a 20 gallon long freshwater, kept that for a very long time, total of four years, I think. And then I got my first saltwater aquarium back in 2021. It was a Catalina Gobi biotope. So I, I scooped up a bunch of algae and stuff from the Catalina Bay or Catalina 
coast, whatever, had some Catalina gobies imported and they had a cute little biotope. It was a temperate biotope, so I didn't even need a heater. It was really cool. And then I got hooked on corals, which are not temperate. For those who don't know, temperate saltwater is like 62 to 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, so it's a very specific range, usually found on the Pacific Ocean or on the Pacific coasts of the US. So I had that tank for seven, eight months, I think. The Catalina gobies did not live as long as I would have liked. But I got bit. Yeah, right. You got bit by the bug. Yeah. <laughs> I got bit by the coral bug, and you can't keep cor most corals in a temperate aquarium. It's 62 degrees. It's cold for humans. It's also cold for corals. Jeez. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, my wallet did not survive my addiction to to corals. But now I have a 50-gallon long, which is a really weird dimensions, but it's like a, a really skinny... 120 gallon, like really, really skinny. I'm gonna have a 40 gallon sump, so just about 90 gallons of, of water volume. And I have a bunch of flower pots and SPS specifically. Oh, no. I mean, your tank looks a lot bigger than a 50, I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I wouldn't guess anything less than 100 when I saw your tanks for streams. Yeah. But holy crap. I use a magnifying glass so everything looks bigger. It's just installed on my phone. I don't know why. Oh, the the eye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so I've been in the hobby since 2011 was when we got our first saltwater tank. Um, before that, I had the most. It's like looking looking like it now. It is the most cringe wordy tank. <laughs> you can see it was a 20 gallon tank, 20 gallon tall, standard thing, typical headlight. I had four goldfish in it. Um, no, it was not four. It was like six or seven, like of the big ass comic goldfish in it. I had no clue how to stack a tank. I had no clue how the cycle went. It was looking back on it, I should not have been allowed to keep fish. <laughs> um, I, I would snap at anyone that told me that they could fish this way. But it was the kind of thing where like, I, we go to the store, buy a gourami, buy some quarries, put them in the tank with the goldfish, and the next day the small quarries were gone. And I'm like, where the fuck the quarries go? Where, where are these fish? Um, that was weird. It was, yeah, but they're very aggressive goldfish. They destroyed whatever plant I put in it, any plant. Like, I, I'd buy those little seed pods that you'd see at Walmart or at Petco. I would throw them in there. I'd see some roots coming out, and then the next day, the entire thing is just, like, shredded. It, it was a very, very horrific thing. Um, knew absolutely nothing about a cycle, nothing about bacteria. Every time I did a water change, take the fish out, put them in a little bowl, drain all the water, you know, rinse out all the gravel, put new water in. I guess it's either fresh water and salt water, but, um... Yeah, it was horrific. And then in 2011, we got our first tank. It was a 125-gallon reef tank. Um, no, it wasn't a reef tank. There were no corals. It was just a 125-gallon tank. That was when the bug hit me um, the worst because <laughs> the very year after that, you know, so that summer, we got the 120. The summer after that, we immediately upgraded to the 180. Uh, and it, it, it was horrible. My wallet, my finances have never been the same since. I haven't fully recovered. Hopefully one day I will. And I'll be able to say, hey, I don't want to buy that coral. But they, for the time being, at least, it, it, it hurts. It hurts. But yeah, currently I have a 315-gallon fully functional reef tank. And I'm proud of my tank where it's at. I know it has a lot of room to grow. But the frag tank? Uh, no, actually. So I used to have well, this is where the bug was at its worst about a month ago mm -hmm. i had a 350 gallon display tank right with a 40 gallon sump i had a 60 gallon frag tank with a 100 gallon sump i had a 30 gallon all-in-one coral quarantine and then aside from that i had a separate quarantine for fish Ooh. where i would it was like an 80 gallon system um at some point though when i was cycling or when i was quarantining hella fish because of a bedic or it was a velvet outbreak that took out a lot of old like really sentimental fish for me velvet is so 
uh, fish does eat. Yeah. yeah. Marine velvet, it kills fish almost overnight. Um, I got my fish from a very shady place because it wasn't the kind of fish you'll find anywhere. Um, and actually, I remember it was a trio of pyramid butterflies that did me in. I've been looking for them forever. They're gorgeous fish, but I... And you can put butterflies in a fish tank? Pyramid butterflies are the only ones. Um, they're saltwater butterfly fish. They're a lot prettier than freshwater ones. I'm talking about like butterfly bugs. I was making it a went right over your head that's gonna happen a lot of yes um i'm a lot smarter than banana because i'm wise and old i sorted too much calcoaster when i was a kid and <laughs> since <laughs> i've recovered um would hurt a lot yeah. but yeah um you know that led to my whole awakening of hey holy crap i gotta quarantine everything or i'm gonna lose everything it was sentimental i've had fish that i've had for eight or nine years up to then i had a sylphin tank beautiful fish uh, it was the fish one of the first fish i've gotten and it grown very very well for me and it was gone in the span of a few days from Brooke. Um, I think that's the only fish I've actually buried because of how like deeply it hit me. But uh, that's a problem in uh, in both freshwater and saltwater. We're still not really great at preventing and like proactively avoiding diseases, especially the really virulent ones. Aside from the quarantine, but even if you quarantine, they could still have some sort of uh, parasite, etc. And we get so attached to them, but they they live even shorter lives than a dog would in captivity. So it, it can be really hard to get emotionally attached to these guys and then lose them for either no detectable reason or a reason that you just could not have reacted to in time. Yeah, yeah it's a lot harder to keep me a dog. A lot harder to keep me a dog, actually. And I have a dog. I have a dog. I have a seven-year-old golden doodle. And she is so attention demanding. Like I didn't know that. I have a five-year-old golden retriever. No way! What? Oh, oh my god! They love attention, and they never run out of energy. It's so much work. So you had multiple tank syndrome (MTS), as the freshwater folks call it, and you're slowly recovering from it. Like, how many tanks do you have running right now? Right now, I only have the right now i only have the 315 and the coral quarantine is staying because i don't plan on getting any more fish yeah um the last fish we added the cherry on top is was or is the zebra tank mm. um it's a very lucrative and hard to find fish so i think that's like a good one to finish off on um by lucrative by the way uh, yeah 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 it was a price it was up there in price Something you'll learn very quickly if you if you ever join the saltwater hobby, everything is always on sale and it's not real. Because if everything's on sale, then nothing is on sale. Oh it's my God, honestly. Marked up price and then the quote unquote discount price, which is the real price, then you're still overpaying. Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest um like reality check with saltwater. The fish, the coral, everything is a lot pricier. Mm-hmm. But personally, I think it's a lot more rewarding. I used to give a small pico tank and like for freshwater it was a shrimp tank and it was a lot harder than any saltwater tank I've kept ever like ever that thing it was painful you had to test the hardness every single day you had to make sure all the shrimp were okay you had to trim like the, the I don't even know what I had what lychee well actually something like that and it was growing so freaking fast man oh rotala walakia yeah yeah, it was growing so fast. I had to cut it every other day, otherwise it would literally just like covering the top of my tank. Um, I had some amber tetras in there and some, yeah, some ghost shrimp. Nothing crazy. Billy, what freshwater tank do you have? Uh, so I have four tanks total. I have three saltwater. There's the 50 gallon long, which is my display tank. I have a eight gallon pico that has my my uh, gigantia anemone, and then I have a frag tank for saltwater. 
my only freshwater tank right now is a, another 50 long with rainbow fish in it. So I have Irian Jaya red rainbow fish. I think I have seven or eight. I have Freycox rainbows, five or six, and then like eight different garas, um, panda garas, red garas, and then uh to Gara Spilota, which is some other type of Gara. So Rainbow Fish and Gara, because I love their personality. Both of them. And what's your favorite? I do have a bookshelf tank too, a six gallon bookshelf, but it's not stocked right now. What do you have in there? Like, what are you going to put in there? I'm waiting on a really rare type of killifish called uh, Diapteron, which I should be getting in the next couple weeks. Holy crap. Where are you getting it from? Like, where are you sourcing it from? They're really hard to find in the US and anywhere else. Uh, but I found, I finally found one guy who still has it. Still has it. Is that called for illegal importation? <laughs> no, 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 no. Are we gonna, are we gonna expose ourselves in the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm no, putting no. one that gets swatted the next. Fish tanks are not worth breaking the law for, my friends. That's, that's the anthem of our, our podcast. Don't break the law. You want to do? Yeah, we need questions. Nice. Questions. Uh, Let's start from the most recent guest. Uh, Lux asks, can water from a tank for bread? No. I don't know how to bake. <laughs> I can't bake. Are you I talking about brining? Yes, water. So I don't know what process. Well, I, I've made bread before. No. Well, <laughs> I know it's probably the joke question, but we will say do not drink salt water from your fish tank. Um, do not use salt water from your fish tank to make and boil it down to make salt. Uh, do not use the water from your saltwater fish tank in cooking. Uh, there are a lot of pathogens and unknown goop in a saltwater tank that you don't want oh, to yeah. consume. That's a glitch. And even if you're not trying to consume it, make sure you don't accidentally consume it too because there's certain corals, certain fish, and just certain minerals and other nutrients and discharge <laughs> from from a water livestock that you do not want to ingest or even get in an open wound on your hand. I use uh, shoulder length gloves whenever I'm working in my tank. It's annoying as hell. I hate to use how cumbersome it makes me, but I have never gotten sick and I've never gotten an infection from my tank, which is my preferred way to live. So yeah, don't do that. No, you say that, Billy, right? But how many of us have gotten water in our mouths starting a siphon for a water channel? Yeah, see, you don't have to live like that. There's siphons that are self-starting. Okay, we don't have, we didn't have them back in the day, right? Like back in the day when you would put the water in the tube in one end of the tank and you stick your mouth on the other hole and you just suck and yeah. pray for the worst. Like you, that, that's really how you would do it way before the fancy. You never had the like like Never, no. It's always been, and then they had the weird ass instruction where like you stick the, the, the tube in the tank and you pull it out and then you pray a little bit and you stick yeah. it back in the water and it's like, what? What is no, that's how you do it. You, you don't need to ever get fish tank water in your mouth. Yeah, worse. No, but yeah, um, I agree with Billy. Don't ingest anything aquarium related. Don't ingest anything that's in your aquarium or around your aquarium. Don't drink the water. Don't eat the coral. Don't eat the plants. Um, it's so. so uh, I saw a uh, TikTok recently where um, someone was trimming their freshwater planted tank. They had a like a Dutch style or a German style. I forget. Uh, planted tank with all those lovely little subsections of different colors and plants um they trimmed a bunch of it off and like looked at the trimmings and were like hmm so they mix it up in in a salad bowl with some salad dressing and then the next shot is of them puking it's <laughs> implying that they ate their their planted tank trimmings uh don't do that <laughs> that's always that's basically how it goes yeah don't ingest anything and that's only the like the um biological side of it right in the chemistry there's so many things that you don't want in your body that 
or our detectable levels of lead and barium and iron in in saltwater water. You don't want to. There are. Not, there really are. Yeah. Um, Binks asks, uh, what sites and auctions do y'all recommend? What I would try to avoid is those, the forum live sales. Um, it's literally just a high pressure sales event, similar to the shopping channels that prey on older people who are watching TV at like 6 p.m. before they go to bed. Uh, they make it look like it's premium, limited stock, etc. They talk about how much it's discounted, but again, that's all made up. Um, so avoid that kind of thing. Um, there's another, another version of that, which is just like a live stream live sale. Um, avoid those unless you know the vendor and you've gotten stuff from them before. To tee off of Billy's point about live sales, I actually enjoy them because it gives you two things. One, it shows you coral that you normally wouldn't see otherwise. Like it tells you just species that exist, colors that exist, variants that are out there that you normally wouldn't find out in LFS. And it tells you the general price of what they're going for. So if you're looking at a live sale, right? Like you don't watch it to order. It, you can kind of see what's out there and what kind of prices people are expecting for those. So if you're ever looking to like sell resell coral it gives you a vague idea of like hey this is what like this person's selling it for i don't want to sell at three times that rate because yeah even if you're not in the hobby yet if you intend to get in the hobby just watch the local marketplaces you can see what prices things are listed yeah. for and how much they're actually selling for because those are obviously two different things um and then once like if you watch them for long enough you'll see some really good deals and discounts on used equipment so especially if you're a budget reefer you can save literally 80 percent of the money that you would invest in new equipment by getting stuff. Drastically, yeah. Um, I've actually considered myself a budget reefer. A lot of my stuff is used in you. I don't really try to get new equipment or spend a couple hundred extra for a new equipment. That's really admirable. And then also, what's also admirable is that you sell it back into the hobby when you're done with it. So it's oh, not only if you get it at a, an original discount, you get your money effectively back, or at least most of it back after you've got your use of it. Yeah, I always try to follow the policy where if you buy something for a really cheap rate, like if you buy this filter that normally costs 200 and someone's like, hey, I'll be generous to give it to you for 50, right? And you get it for 50, I try to sell it back into the market for what I got it for, if not less. Um, because it, there's always a newer reefer or a newer hobbyist that wants to get into the hobby but says, hey, this is too expensive. And you're just like, by straight up feeling dumb, you strengthen the hobby itself um and that's how you ensure that like the community around you stays okay true uh, all right next question is from recall what's your favorite saltwater fish for aquariums banana first saltwater um the mandarin mm -hmm. dragonette the, the little fairy like wings i know it's a basic one no it's not basic though it's that's like a it's universal basic. it is like no tank is complete without a mandarin um that doesn't mean keep one in a smaller tank than it should be but they do put a tank Very together good. well my my tastes change so right now my favorite um saltwater fish is the the bank streaked uh, possum rats very cute very small very shy and they're they're micro predators so their their method of moving around the tank is like short little bursts and then they'll stop and and like kind of watch out for critters to eat um but they're just freaking adorable mine i have i think i have two in my tank but it's so big and there's so much i rarely see them but every time every now and then i'll see them pop pop out like when i feed brine shrimp to the tank they'll pop out and go crazy how hard was it transition between fresh and salt water recall asks um i guess i did it more recently we can answer two with one because um that's so none also asks like would you reckon it would be hard to start a saltwater aquarium when you've been in the fresh water for so long well billy is the one that actually transitioned like mm -hmm. actually transitioned um 
and it was really easy. The, what I would do in hindsight, and I, I guide people through this um, all the time in our Discord server, because a lot of people ask that same question. Do you, uh, it, When you first start researching the saltwater hobby, you're going to be flooded with 15 different parameters that they purport that you need to track. Um, and all the different test kits that you will need to track them with. None of those are actually important until you get really, really deep in the hobby. The only parameters you have to worry about for a saltwater fish tank for the first like six months are salinity, which is a new one if you're getting into the, the, the salt, like if you're moving from fresh to salt, but it's relatively easy once you learn the mechanics of it. And once you get a good uh, testing tool that is accurate and precise. Um, so salinity, temperature, and ammonia. Um, temperature and ammonia you have already managed. Uh, nitrite and nitrate are a lot less damaging to your saltwater fish than freshwater, so you don't even really need to care about them. So you're exchanging the th big three from freshwater, which is temperature, ammonia, and nitrite, for a different big three that are, I would say, only slightly more difficult to manage in the first couple weeks. Mm -hmm. What I tell people to do is just fill a tank with salt water and add cycling bacteria and learn how to measure salinity and get a good thermometer and heater and stuff in, while your tank is cycling because it will only take you about two weeks to pick up on that. Oh, this water evaporated. I add it back. I add fresh water back in and my salinity is now maintained. Um, so I would say once you figure out how salinity works, you're you're good to go. You already know how the ammonia cycle works. It's virtually identical in salt water, although it is handled by different bacteria, so you can't take freshwater cycled materials and just dump them in a saltwater tank, although, although that would be a good ammonia source. Um, but, it, but it's relatively easy, and we have a lot of people who have gone through that process in the Discord server, so if anyone has any questions, you're welcome to join and ask us. Um, 100%. From what I've been... From what I know about freshwater, which is limited, right? The <laughs> my horror it's in my tank of horror. The entire nitrogen cycle is the same. You feed the fish, turns into ammonia, bacteria turn the ammonia into nitrites, other bacteria turn on the nitrites and the nitrates. That's it. So really the only thing that'll harm the fish is salinity and ammonia. Because ammonia will burn the gills of a fish and it does like stress them out to the point of death slash their lungs are literally on fire so as long as you make sure that your ammonia is very low or as close to zero as you can and your salinity is within range as billy said then you're good to go the rest you can kind of learn along the way and that's of course it does complicate itself a little more if you want to start looking at coral or you want to look at inverts. Um, but then every tier that you go through only requires like two more levels of just knowing but you just got to know these two new levels if you want to keep soft coral then you just look at nitrates and phosphates and then if you want to keep hard coral then you just look at alkalinity magnesium and calcium and <laughs> and ph and, and ph but ph i've realized that ph just needs to be like room set like a lot of people do a lot more harm chasing high ph than they do just letting their ph go slight well, well we'll argue about that in another episode uh, what he's trying to say is there are there are tiers that you can ascend very slowly as you acquire more knowledge and experience and the, the money to invest in this relatively expensive hobby. Um, and th those have been mapped out for you already because we, this hobby's been around for 50, 60 years. Um, so you don't have to get overwhelmed. You start at the first step, which is those first three that I dropped relatively. And patience. A lot of patience. Patience. Uh, okay, next one. 
Um, oh, that we can kind of merge that one in. <clears throat> Someone asked if it would, if they reckon it would be hard to start a saltwater aquarium when you've been in freshwater for so long. Probably not. You probably already dabbled in freshwater critters that are harder to keep than the basic critters to keep in saltwater. So, like if you kept dis discus or rams or even shrimp, you already probably even have the test kits you need. <laughs> um, aside from salinity, uh, to just jump right in, and you have the knowledge and the the patience to do so. Exactly. Or even if you don't, right? Like, because my freshwater tank wasn't very yeah. oh. advanced. Yeah. And I've done just fine salt water. I think I've done fine. Like, there's gorgeous tanks out there, but I like my tank. Um, okay. But yeah, just ask questions. Ask whatever questions you have, ask and learn along the way. Nice. Richie Rich asks, uh, why do they say not to boil Zoa slash Pallies? Is it a joke or is there some genuine reason people do this one? Um, I love this. Okay, Zoas and Pallies produce one of the strongest toxins, no, like strongest biological toxins known to man. And I've probably just scared the crap out of anyone trying to do salt water with that sentence. But um, they contain what is known as polytoxin, palytoxin. Um, and they is a very, very potent, strong toxin. Um, this is it's a dental toxin, right? I have no idea. Polytoxin, it is a... Yeah, so basically what it works is it starts breaking apart the car carbon chains in your body. But, okay, as scary as that sounds, you will most likely be fine dealing with any coral like that, as long as you're careful. Um, what Billy said is wear gloves, arm long gloves if you want. I just wear standard like up to the wrist gloves, but you can wear arm long gloves. I just have the longer one. When you pull well, it's the only real yeah. like scientific reason. Uh, a specific like, scenario that Richie Rich is talking about. Someone I yeah, someone I had boiled uh oh the, the reason this is you were warned not to do this is A palytoxin's a lot more potent when it's absorbed um respir respiratorily like through your lungs just like any like if you breathe cyanide you're that's gonna be a lot more toxic than if you just i don't know put some on your hand um the reason that is a like a common warning in the hobby not it's kind of a joke but it's also it's definitely happened someone boiled old live rock um to sterilize it i guess which doesn't even really work um and it uh aerosolized the um some like well a lot of stuff obviously but also some dried up pallies or zoas that were on the rock if not dried up then like shriveled up like he didn't see them uh and it aerosolized and he got really really sick and i think people have died from that before yeah rock boiling used to be a practice uh, spent emphasis on the word used it used to be something that people did to sterilize rock until they realized that there's no real point in doing it and there's um way too much risk and literally no reward <laughs> yeah no don't, we don't boil a rock anymore if you want to clean a rock give it a good acid bath it's the equivalent of you know painting your house with lead paint like no, there's no purpose in doing it or, or using lead in your your gasoline these are things that the, the hobby and society has moved past and the warning is in the hobby to just to make sure that we don't kind of backtrack and we learn from the history of our hobbyists and Hopefully, don't replicate that that mistake again. Mm -hmm. okay, that is the the last of the questions that we have in the chat. Um, so I think we'll wrap this up and we'll just switch over to yep. to chatting in the Discord voice channel. Um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. And feel free to hop in and ask any follow up questions that you didn't want captured on the podcast. We're going to be joining the the lounge channel right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of Slice of the Reef, your number one podcast for all things fishy with your hosts, Giancarlo and Billy. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else that podcasts are streamed. That way you'll never miss a show. If you like the show, 
Make sure you join us on discord.gg slash aquariums, where we go live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central or 12 p.m. Pacific. We also have a Q&A session, and we're very interactive with our listeners, so it's a lot of fun to join. Until then, farewell and easy reefing.